We're offering hookers. We're not big baseball fans here on Unscripted with Mike and Chris, but, you know, I got to tell you, with eight games left in the season, seven for some, eight for most, there are two very exciting races going on in both the American League and the National League that I think we should obviously make mention of as I welcome you to this 394th episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Mike Jansen, Chris Luke with you. In the American League, the Oakland A's, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Cleveland Indians are battling. They're all one game apart, one, one and a half games apart of each other. Two of those teams will get in. One of them will go home. Right now, the odd team out is the Cleveland Indians. Conversely, in the National League, you've got the Washington Nationals, the Milwaukee Brewers, and the Chicago Cubs all within about two games of each other. Washington is the leader. They would have the home field in the nationally wild card game if the season ended today but they're only a game ahead of the brewers the brewers are two games ahead of the cubs and who would have thought i got a text from somebody the day that the brewers mvp right fielder christian yelich fouled a pitch off his knee and broke his kneecap and putting him on the sidelines for the rest of the year and somebody sent me a note saying the brewers season is over well i've got a little bit of a surprise for you out there you people you naysayers the Brewers have gone 8-2 and two without Christian Yelich, and they've won 13 of their last 15 to overtake the Cubs. They're two games ahead of the Cubs for the last wild card spot, and they're only three games behind the St. Louis Cardinals for the uh, National League Central Division Championship with eight games to go. So it's highly unlikely that they win the National League Championship, the Division Championship, but wouldn't that be something if the Milwaukee Brewers, without their best player, without their best pitcher, without their best reliever, somehow make the playoffs? I know I'm a homer. I've said it forever. But my God, when does Craig Council get some votes for manager of the year of the Milwaukee Brewers? I mean, come on, guys. He doesn't have the payroll that other big teams do. His payroll is $50 million less than the Chicago Cubs. They came from five games back in September last year to overtake the Cubs and make it to the National League Championship Series. This year, they have a payroll, as I just said, that's $50 million less than the Cubs. They've overtaken the Cubs, and they lead the Cubs by two games with eight to go for the last wild card spot. Now, in the last episode, we talked about Jay Gruden and we talked about uh, khaki boy Jim Harbaugh having to tune up their resumes. Well, I'm telling you right now, if the Cubs don't get into the playoffs this year, Joe Madden will have to tune up his resume too because A, his contract is up at the end of the year. There's been no talk of a contract extension. And after you've lost two years in a row to the small market brewers, People in Chicago are going to want his ass, regardless if he is the guy that snapped the 108-year World Series slump of the Cubs. You know what I say to that? Go screw yourselves. Um, also, real quick, 
before we, I get into this, I want to get Chris involved and bring him into the program, and I've got some questions in regard to the start of the National Hockey League season, but I do want to make mention of two things that surprised the shit out of me this week in baseball. The New York Yankees won this week. They clinched a division championship. That doesn't surprise me. What surprises me is that the New York Yankees hadn't won an American League East Division championship since 2012. That's seven years. That's a long time for the New York Yankees. And think about it even more in this regard, as we, as we are, again, about 10 days now away from the start of postseason baseball. Think about it this way. The New York Yankees have not won a World Series championship since 2009. And if George Steinbrenner was still around, rest God rest your soul, you prick, um, that would have been three managers had been fired in New York. If you remember Steinbrenner in the 70s, the eight remaining baseball fans out there, he changed managers like some people change their underwear. I know that there were years when he was the general partner of the New York Yankees that he fired three guys in one year. Thankfully, his sons are a little bit uh, a little bit less like their old man in that regard. But uh, should be a very interesting last eight days of the baseball season. Be very interesting to see uh, who gets in. Congratulations to the Atlanta Braves as they uh, captured their second consecutive National League East Division crown, and they joined the Yankees, the Houston Astros, and the L.A. Dodgers as division winners. And... Uh, Again, it should be an interesting, even for the game of baseball, it should be an interesting last week of the season. Um, Again, welcome you to this 394th episode of Unscripted. Oh yeah, one other baseball note. I got to make mention of this. Washington Nationals manager Davey Martinez was experiencing some heart problems in the dugout on Monday. Um, He returned last night to the Washington Nationals dugout just days after a heart procedure. Is that smart? I don't think so. I really don't, especially when you have just a one-game lead uh, for the top spot for the wild card position. You've got a heart problem, obviously. You had a procedure done, and two days later, you're back in the dugout. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know, Davey. I don't know if that's smart. Um, I want to bring in Chris here. And uh, I'm really excited about this, except, of course, that this means the start of the Calgary Flames season. Um, Not a Flames fan. Um, But as teams now have been in camp for about a week, getting ready, you've seen those unimportant exhibition games already. It was funny. (laughs) Sportsnet Canada the other day uh, showed back-to-back exhibition games. Who cares? Who gives a flying rat's ass? You're not getting to see the stars. They started out with the, I think it was Toronto, of course. Toronto and somebody, and then they went to the Edmonton-Calgary game. Edmonton won easily, 6-2. to two. But um, we've got to start talking some hockey because we're about two weeks away from the start of the National Hockey League season, and I'm getting really excited. And I've got 10 important questions here. I don't know if we'll get to all 10 because some of them, like, which rookie will have the better season? I can't pronounce two of the names, so we'll just maybe give that one to Jack Hughes and just say Jack. But uh, there's some couple of interesting questions that I'd like to throw Chris here as we again. And again, I, I think what we'll do, obviously, uh, we will get our 
Vancouver Bureau Chief Sean Dodin here one yeah. of these days before the start of the season. Maybe episode 400. Maybe episode, yeah, that'd be great. Episode 400, get Sean in here for an in-depth uh, look at the, give it a season preview of the National Hockey League and see how pissed off we can get Sean about talking about the inadequacies of the Vancouver Canucks. That'll take up an episode right there. But uh, there's some questions here that I found interesting, some good ones, some bad ones, and I'm going to hit the boss with these and see what he can do with them. I'm not going to give him all 10. I'll I'll give him a few and, and uh, see what he's got to say. This was one that was intriguing to me. Um, last year, Pittsburgh, the Penguins obviously have been very successful during the reign of Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, um, and a lot of different components as well. But those are the two big players. Phil Kessel was a part of the equation for years. He's been shipped off to Arizona to reunite. Um, who's the damn coach down there? He used to be a Pittsburgh assistant and a player, the coach in Arizona. Oh, um, shoot. I can't remember. I mean, he's an all-star. I should remember it. I can't. I'm at a loss. Is it still Rick Tockett? Yeah, there it is. Oh, okay. Tockett. Anyway. But my first question is, after a disappointing end of the season, which was a first-round sweep at the hands of the New York Islanders and Coach Barry Trotz, is this the year that the Pittsburgh Penguins start to rebuild? No. As long as Sid's there, they're not going to rebuild. They could go a little harder on the draft picks or something, but they're always going to be in win-now mode as long as they have him and Malkin, and that's just the way it is. I'm going to save that one. The one we talked about earlier, I'm going to save that one for the end because that'll be your speciality. You know exactly what I mean. Let's ask this question. Whose offseason will prove the most worthwhile? The New York Rangers, the Florida Panthers, or the New Jersey Devils? Well, the easy answer here is the Devils. Certainly, they got the first overall pick and they made a splashy P.K. Subban signing, although that one is going to be, I think, overrated a little bit. But, uh, I mean, I think you'd have to go with them. Getting Bobrovsky in Florida... I don't think gives them a cup. That's that just means it's going to be one of their good seasons instead of one of their bad seasons with Florida. You never. It's like the old Florida Marlins. Same thing. Sometimes they either they either do really well or except so Florida the Marlins took it a little further when they won in I guess ninety seven and 03, I think they won those two. But um, look at you, yeah, baseball that, guy. I, I just remember that with the Marlins for some reason. But that's that's the difference between the Florida Marlins and the Florida Panthers. They're always they always seem to either be the worst or really good. But the difference is the Marlins actually won the big one a couple times. Not that the Marlins are winning the big one anytime soon now, but the Florida Panthers have a better chance than that. But no, I don't think they're doing too much. The Rangers, I think it's a nice thing that they have done such a good job with the rebuild and they're already primed to look like a decent team already with a super fast rebuild. So good for them. But uh, the Devils, it'd be really interesting to see Jack Hughes with Taylor Hall. Yeah, uh, yeah everyone's, I think, looking forward to to that because you don't associate the devils with high powered exciting offense so that'll be something neat to see if that does actually come true one question though uh, uh, aside if i may um how many wins does joel quenville bring to the florida panthers as they bring in the ex-chicago blackhawks ex-colorado avalanche ex-st louis blues i don't know other goddamn teams he was with i got a couple of them but i think that obviously dale talon got the guy he wanted um, I didn't think that Quenville would end up there unless he wanted to improve his golf game, but uh, he is the new coach of the Florida Panthers, and having him in the on the bench or on the sidelines, that's got to help a little bit. A little bit. I'll just say that they make the playoffs. Fair enough. Um, let's go to this one. Do the Blackhawks have a second wind with Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane on the payroll? 
or do they start a, or do they start a rebuild? Boy, that's a tough one. They they reached at number three for Kirby Dash there, and so I mean there were a lot of potential options. That's that's a risky pick because I mean you could all the guys between three and ten were basically interchangeable in the draft. So I think that's going to be part of it for sure. Um, yeah, just letting go of some of their older guys. I wouldn't call it a rebuild, but I think anyone who is still around. I like. I don't know how good Duncan Keith is anymore. I, right. I, I'm not sure. Right. So I mean, you'd Corey like Corey Crawford and goal. Yeah, you'd. I'd like to get those salaries off the books, ideally, unless, uh, well, especially Crawford. But uh, I mean, if Keith is still good, then great. I. I I'm not sure how good he's going to be this year. He's. He's been around for a long time. It seems like now. So, um, I don't think. I think it's similar to Pittsburgh. I don't think they'll do a full rebuild as long as their top two guys are there. Um. Can Phil Kessel? help the Coyotes snap their long playoff drought? No, he's not the type of player that... But they were close, correct me right if I'm wrong, but they were close at the end of the year, weren't they? Yeah, they've been they've been a solid team at times. Uh, they, they're, they're, they're a scrappy underdog. A lot of that was with Dave Tippett, the new Oilers coach, so that's what I'm excited to... I've been watching all of his post-game pressers, and he seems very authoritative and, and very smart. So I like Dave Tippett so far and he did a great job down there with not much to work with at all. And now he's got a lot more than that when you get a Connor McDavid and a Leon Dreisaitl and everything. So, right. so that's great. But for Arizona, no, Phil Kessel's not the type of guy uh, that's going to revolutionize a franchise or turn it around. It's not like, you know, putting Peyton Manning in his prime on a football team. It's not like that. Or LeBron on a bad basketball team. It's not like that at all. The The Penguins did it right with him. They brought him into a team that was good already, needed one more good scorer, and he was a great complimentary piece. But no, he's... I don't think that's a good spot for him at all. Um, will the early playoff exit... Now, this was a team... And I'm talking about the Tampa Bay Lightning. We all know the numbers. 62 wins last year, 130-plus points overall. Second all-time to, to a great, I don't remember what year it was, but second all-time to one of the great of many Montreal Canadiens teams. But will the early playoff exit, where they went in, President's Cup trophy winners, again, 62 regular season wins. They thought they were a given to go all the way to the Stanley Cup final and possibly win it. And then they get dumped for nothing in the first round to John Tortorella and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Will the early playoff exit haunt the Tampa Bay Lightning? Whew, that's a hard one. Let me think. It's not supposed to be easy. Yeah, geez. I don't think it's a curse yet or anything like that. Or I think I think if anything, it'll just be motivation for them to come back just as strong in the regular season and really be geared up for the playoffs. I think it just nothing went their way in the playoffs and you faced a team that barely got in but was really geared to the playoffs. I mean, they got Duchesne at the deadline and they just seemed like they were just built for the playoffs. Tortorella had them ready. Uh, I don't know if his experience in Tampa helped at all because, of course, he was the one who coached them to a cup in 04. And I, I just think that they were so ready, and Tortorella did a great job, but they were just ready for the playoffs. And uh, I, I think part of it, too, Tampa was so far ahead of everyone. They'd been coasting for so long. They hadn't had a, right. a game to get up for in a That's long a great time. Point. Right? And you go against this hungry team that has a great home crowd and everything. And then you had, you know, the the headman suspension and it's just like nothing everything went wrong for them and it just kept snowballing it's like oh now we try to get this one back and then something else goes wrong and it was just a disaster from the start so uh, i don't think this means they're going to be 
a terrible playoff team. I don't even think this will be the San Jose Sharks, you know, making the playoffs every like seven years in a row and then never doing anything. Uh, so, uh, no, I'm not too worried about them yet. If it happens again, especially like getting swept by the number eight seed and their number one, if that happened again, yeah, then you talk about it. But for now, I think they're okay. Okay, I want to finish this with a couple of big questions. Um, I guess this one has to go before has to go before this one, but this is going to be right up your alley, my friend. What has to go right for the Edmonton Oilers to make the playoffs? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, one interesting thing is the pipeline coming up of defensive prospects. And this is something we haven't had, or even any prospects in a long time. The problem with the Oilers for so long, it can be distilled down to one thing, and it's been terrible drafting and scouting. And it's been so bad. We, I mean, even when when you are a team that didn't get a good player in the first round of the 2003 draft, it means you're a failure. Because almost every pick in that round, uh, it's the greatest draft ever. It's probably the greatest round ever in the greatest draft ever. And we drafted a Coke machine. And I mean, let's <laughs> name Mark M.A. Pouliot, right? And so, you know, like everyone else, they just couldn't miss no matter what they drafted. And then the Oilers still screwed it up. And other than first-round picks, like, we've had so few decent picks outside the first round in the last 20 years yeah. that it's it's literally that one thing has almost ruined this franchise. And now, all of a sudden, we're under the tutelage of some guys like Craig McTavish, who's not there anymore, but when they changed him to Bakersfield, that was a good spot for him. Keith Gretzky, that's been something he's been good at. This Bob Green fellow as well. They've done great. And all of a sudden, we've got this serious glut of prospects and even right this second we still don't know and even Dave Tippett doesn't know right now who is actually going to make the team there is a legitimate contest in the preseason here and in training camp trying to figure out who's going to make the team and we don't know and we have some amazing prospects Seth Jones brother Caleb Jones and we have Ethan Bear and Evan Bouchard and William Legison and Jewel Pearson and I'm probably forgetting some. And that's in addition to some decent guys we already have at the NHL level. And so that's the thing. If these guys come as advertised and can play right out of the gate, uh, and of course, if the tandem of Koskinen and uh, Mike Smith holds up, I don't see a reason we wouldn't be a good team. I mean, we have a lot of firepower up front. They signed some great depth guys. But I think maybe that's the answer. It's going to come down to depth. You're like, how is Mike Smith going to complement Miko Koskinen, who has a big contract but isn't going to be a 60-70 game starter? How are the, How is the depth on defense going to hold their own when the top guys aren't on the ice? How is the depth on the third and fourth lines, all these new random players we signed from Europe, like Haas, uh, how are they going to sign? How are they going to uh, hold up? We don't know. So it comes to the depth. I'm not worried about the. Fr I'm not worried about James Neal and Ryan Nugent Hopkins playing together. I think they're going to be excellent. Mm -hmm. I'm not worried about anyone who plays with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl. It'll probably be Zach Cassian, but he'll be fine. I'm not worried about the Pulyarvi situation. I'm not worried about our top defensemen. Nothing like that. It's the depth on this team. We might actually have it for months, or for we might actually have it for once, or we might not have it at all. And that's the big question mark. And if we have depth on the third and fourth lines and our bottom defense pairing and in goal, look out, we are going to do some damage. I'm dare, I'm, I guarantee it. If all that happens, we are going to do some damage this year. I put the uh, <clears throat> GM hat on you. If you're Ken Holland, and obviously Dave Tippett's going to be in this decision as well, but really this is, I think, Ken Holland's call. Does Connor McDavid play opening night? 
coming off that big injury he had in the last game of the year down at the Paddle Dome or whatever the hell they call it down here in Calgary. That's a good one for because like they're in because the, yeah they're because they're in a flood zone. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like that. Thank how, you. how have we never said that before? I just came up with it. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Okay, uh, I just let the doctors tell me I don't feel under any pressure right. to have McDavid ready to go. It's just what is it? What do the doctors say? Correct. Is he ready or not? That's 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 easy. That's, but I think I, I. But I just my feeling. I mean, if if you ask me that question about Aaron Rodgers, let's say. If maybe he misses a few games at the beginning because you're thinking about big picture. Oh, that's different. That's, well, for sure that's it is. 16 games instead of I get of that. But 82. that's my iconic guy. Connor McDavid is your iconic guy. I know it's different. We only have 16 games. You got 82. I get that. But what yeah. I'm saying is, do you maybe hold him back a little bit at the beginning just to make sure everything's okay? Because the worst thing you can happen to any elite athlete, any elite athlete, and especially one that moves on the ice as well as Mr. McDavid does, you would hate to see a relapse. And then it kind of becomes a lingering thing throughout the season. I want to see him week one. I want to see him day one, game one, because I can't wait to watch 97 fly up and down the ice again. But I'm just thinking, as a management guy, do you hold him back? Especially if maybe you're starting against, oh, I don't know, a lesser team. Maybe you're starting, I don't know who, I don't know who Edmonton starts with. All I'm saying is, do you think he'll be there week one? And again, the, the correct and politically correct answer is you go by what the doctors say. Yeah, well, I think he will be there. Keep in mind that this was already a good five months ago, at least, and there was no structural damage correct. to the uh, knee. Correct. So, But his yeah. legs are his bread and butter. Oh, yeah. He is just so fun to watch. He has another gear. Yeah. And it's just so fun. And if you take that, injuries can zap, as we all know. And I just, you know, I don't know. Um, my final question is the big one. We're not going through all 10 because some of them are stupid. But this one, I, I really, I saved for the end for the same reason, or for, the big, for, the, for a big reason. We're sitting here in Canada. The last Canadian team to win a Stanley Cup was the 1993 Montreal Canadiens. That's been too goddamn long. It's been 26 years. Will a Canadian team finally win a cup? Uh, not this year, and and uh, it, there's just too many of them that are for sure won't. And so, I mean, there have been years recently, you know, when five of the seven made the playoffs and all that, right. where, uh, ironically, that was only three years ago, and the two that didn't make the playoffs that finished tied for last in the league, Toronto and Edmonton, are now about as likely as any Canadian teams to win the Cup this year, only three years later. But Vancouver has no chance. Calgary, as far as I'm concerned, has no chance. All of a sudden, Winnipeg has decided they're rebuilding, so they don't have a chance. Ottawa is the worst team in the league. Yeah, what's going on with that line A situation? I don't know. They've well, I mean, he wants to win, and then all of a and they've been a solid team ever yeah. since he's got there. And all of a sudden, yeah. they start doing a fire sale out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, I think maybe some contracts were coming up, and they decided to do it. So, and I mean, he's just a kid who wants to win, yeah. and so that 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 could cause some problems. So I don't know what's going on there, but yeah. So I mean, what are you left with? You're left with Edmonton, which has tons of question marks. They could be terrible, but they could be awesome. It's really hard to tell. Uh, you've got Toronto, which. You know, it certainly should do well. They should certainly make the playoffs. They could. It's possible they could win the cup. They have a chance, at least. I don't expect it. I think, you, you know, you have to learn how to win a bit. And right. and then Montreal is just full of question marks. I don't know what's going on there. I'm assuming Our favorite not... general manager is screwing yeah. things up there. <laughs> Imagine that. So all of a sudden, you've got, what, so maybe the, the Oilers uh, could be terrible, or they could be the 
second most likely Canadian team to win the cup this year. I mean, they might be that too. So it's hard to say, but when, when only one or two of the Canadian teams can win the cup, that's, that's not the year I'm going to proclaim that it's Canada's year. Welcome again to uh, episode number 394 of Unscripted with Mike and Chris. Uh, Mike and Chris here with you. Hope all is well in your world. I want to switch gears real quick to the NBA. Um, I think my personal feeling of the four current heads of state, if you will, of the four commissioners of the major sports, football, basketball, baseball, hockey, the best one right now is Adam Silver in the NBA. Um, I think you've got to put Mr. Bettman in second place. I think you probably, in a dogfight for the basement, you'd have to go Jane Goodell's husband and uh, Rob Manfred of Major League Baseball. But um, the NBA made news on Friday, or Adam Silver made news on Friday, that they have approved measures to combat tampering and salary cap circumvention. And some of the penalties that would be handed down if they find tampering going on and salary cap circumvention, some of the penalties include suspending executives, forfeiting draft picks, and voiding contracts. Now, that's fine and dandy in theory, but who's going to police this? Do you hire a guy to do this? Do you hire Jane Goodell herself and bring her on to the payroll of the NBA and, and she's monitoring this uh, to these measures to combat tampering and salary cap circumvention? And the reason I'm bringing this up is that Clippers coach Doc Rivers made news yesterday saying that, and I quote, Kawhi Leonard wouldn't have signed with us if we didn't go out and acquire Paul George, end quote. Supposedly, when they had that infamous Friday afternoon meeting and in attendance for the Clippers was obviously Doc Rivers, Lawrence Frank, he's the de facto general manager, and the big-time owner, Steve Ballmer, were in this room along with Kawhi Leonard and his representatives. And Kawhi Leonard says, if you can't get me another player, then I'm not signing here. He wasn't just going to, he needed a tag team partner. He needed somebody to come with him. Okay. Now, when you're talking about tampering, Rivers goes on to say when he made this proclamation that, again, Kawhi Leonard wouldn't sign with the Clippers if they didn't go out and acquire Paul George. Rivers goes on to say that many around the NBA knew that Oklahoma City was looking to break up their team and start over. And that led to the trade of Paul George to the Clippers. That led the trade of Cam Newton's brother, Wessel Westbrook, to Houston. Now, my question to you folks is, isn't that tampering? If you know that a team, another team in the 30, NBA's got 30 teams, right? 30 teams in the NBA, if you know of one of them that is looking to do a fire sale and dump salary and basically start a rebuilding project, isn't that tampering? And shouldn't the LA uh, Clippers, shouldn't they be in a little bit of trouble? If you're going by these new men, I mean, obviously the rule just came out Friday, so maybe they get to grandfather in, but I'm not the smartest, not sharp, sharpest or, or brightest knife in the drawer, but I, I got to believe that's, that's a form of tampering, isn't it? I guess it depends how it was done. I mean, you can certainly call up another team and ask if they want to make a trade oh, with you. Oh, for sure. But how can the coach of the Clippers, 
who is de facto really the general manager as well, how can he come out publicly? Now, if you keep your mouth shut, that's one thing. But how can he come out publicly and say, we knew OKC was going to or was wanting to dump salary and start a rebuild? Doc Rivers, I think, potentially put himself in a little bit of hot water by opening his mouth. He probably could have sh- could have and should have kept his mouth shut in this regard. You got Kawhi, you got uh, Paul George, cost you seven draft picks, but you got, uh, excuse me, five draft picks and two good players. But he knew, you know, he knew something. He had some inside information. And you know what? This is what, this is why I have a problem with this new rule. As I said, when we were around July 1st here on Unscripted, remember when we had that discussion about when Kawhi Leonard says, I want to meet with the Lakers, but I only want to meet with Magic Johnson and Jeannie Buss. I don't want to meet, I don't want Palinka in the meeting. I don't want anybody else in the meeting. I just want Magic Johnson and Jeannie Buss. What stops anybody, my friend, from meeting at a Starbucks in West Hollywood and having a discussion? I mean, I, I just think that I know what Adam uh, Silver is trying to do. He's trying to make it a, an even playing field. And I'm scared shitless about these rumors and innuendos because I heard one this weekend that the, the uh, Golden State Warriors are going to be putting a package together and they're going to be going after Giannis at this time next year. But for them to do that, they'd have to get rid of four players on their current roster just to give Giannis the kind of contract that he would be eligible for. Now, the Bucks are the only ones that can give him a max deal, which is $247 million. But I just, I just think, you know, how do you police this stuff? How do you referee this stuff? How can you stop a... Paul George or a Kawhi Leonard or Giannis Antetokounmpo or a Stephen Curry or a Draymond Green or somebody, anybody from having a conversation and passing along classified information. And if they're sitting in a Starbucks in Los Angeles, do they get fined for doing that? If somebody from the league office sees them? I mean, it's just, there's so, there's so much of, of we need to know before he comes out and says, we're going to combat tampering and salary cap circumvention well how the hell are you going to do it it's it's a tough situation i don't think there's anything you can do because like you say there's nothing to stop people from meeting at a starbucks but yeah you can't have no tampering rules and have the the big fancy rich teams just be able to just freely flaunt everything and bully the small teams and just go and just keep offering their guys who are under contract things so uh he's doing his best adam silver and i don't uh, maybe there's a solution, but I've never thought of it, and uh, I don't think there's anything you can do. It's just an impossible problem to solve. It'll be interesting to see is what I guess, I, I guess I'm getting at. And uh, before we get out of here, I have now gotten to the point. Chris and I have been together for three years. We've been together now for 393 completed episodes of Unscripted. We're about three minutes from our 394th completed episode and so i know i get to watch steam come out of my friend's ears when i bring up the ncaa (laughs) so i'm bringing up the ncaa because he is getting a full indoctrination into the ncaa and i just love watching him get pumped up but one of the blue blood basketball programs in major college basketball is the university of kansas they're up there 
on the Mount Rushmore along with Kentucky, North Carolina, uh, Duke, and, well, we'll put Kansas up there. So Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, and whatever. Used to be UCLA, but they suck now. University of Kansas men's basketball program under current basketball coach Bill Self is preparing for a notice of allegations regarding multiple rules violations by the NCAA. Now, here's my question. We know Chris's love and affinity for the NCAA, the National Communists Against Athletes. But is it realistic? I mean, college basketball cannot survive, in my opinion, without their blue blood programs. Duke has, I, I am telling you, everybody loves Shashevsky. He's been there since 1980. He's won how many national championships? He's been to how many Final Fours? But you know that there have been recruiting discrepancies there. I don't care. I don't, you know, I know, he, again, he's been there since 1980, but we've always, there's always been, I mean, Duke guys always used to stay four years. Now, Duke is becoming very eerily similar to Kentucky in regard to the one and done. Come in for one year and then head to the NBA. But when they say that they're ready to levy sanctions, or excuse me, not, not levy sanctions yet, we don't know. They first of all have to have the investigation that'll take three years. Got to pay somebody. Remember, the head office of the NCAA is in Overland, Kansas. Coincidence? I don't know. But the University of Men's Basketball Program, a blue blood, they're up there. They've won national championships. A lot of people... Okay, now here's the funny thing. Okay, here's the funny thing. You'll get a kick out of this. Canadians believe in their heart of hearts that Dr. James Naismith, who is the inventor of basketball, is Canadian, and then Canada should be the country that should be as the inventor of basketball. But you tell an American that, they'll tell you, first of all, to do something that's anatomically impossible to do, which is fuck yourself. They will say that Dr. James Naismith was a professor at the University of Kansas, and he originated basketball while he was working as a professor at the University of Kansas. So, all right. Pick your battles. Who knows? We know, we know, obviously, we know hockey was invented by the Canadians, but maybe we give basketball to the Americans. Who cares? The problem here is what are they going to do to Kentucky, or to, excuse me, what are they going to do to Kansas? They won't do a goddamn thing to Kansas. They'll go through a long and trial and tribulation, and people will get, get wealthy going through all this stuff. But in the end, the NCAA, in my opinion, cannot survive on the men's basketball side without one of the blue blood programs. And this is, meaning Kansas, is one of the blue blood programs. Well, today, a hot mic at the Ole Miss Cal game in football picked up a fan yelling, fuck you, communist motherfucker. So <laughs> I, I like to pretend nobody knows who was, this guy was saying this to. I like to assume it's to the NCAA or some NCAA <laughs> official or a ref or something. Because that's what I think uh, I'd like to say to the NCAA for sure. Also, I got a message from Ryan Hall saying that he loved the opening of episode 390, which was just me saying, fuck you, NCAA. And then our music hits, and that was great. And you got to hear it again later in the episode. And we, and we had lots of swearing in that episode, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but anyway, yes, uh, I, look, 
Let's just pay college athletes. Let's have fucking competitions. Let's have open competitions. Here's exactly how we're trying to entice this person. Ah, we're offering a bunch of shoes. We're offering hookers. Great, whatever. Whatever's going to get the guy to come here. Then not only college athletes get paid, there's a bidding war for their services. And all this is out in the open. You don't need to hide that you're trying to, you know, give this guy something and get his mama a house so that he comes and plays for you. You can just be open about it. Let's have a fucking auction. Let's do this. Like, get it out in the open shine a light under the rocks let's just get it all out in the open i like how getting things out in the open doesn't even occur to the ncaa i think they passed something in california last week that was called what was it oh the pay for play initiative mm-hmm. let's let's do it let's do it in that's all gonna 50- spread like wildfire Damn right it I is yeah. that's gonna spread white like wildfire and all of a sudden you know what you're gonna have you're gonna have a bunch of guys it's gonna be like now in hockey and now in the nba they're all gonna have little uh, advertising patches on their jerseys you watch. Well, I, I I will say that I hate the advertising patches, but I do support the guys doing whatever they have to yeah. be for endorsements. But yeah, I, boy, I hate those. <laughs> I really do. I do. I think they're ludicrous. It just takes so much away from the jersey itself. It's unbelievable. It's looking like soccer to me. Mm-hmm. You know, those guys running around with those, all those, that looks stupid to well, me. Well, or international hockey is like that. Oh, it's bad. That's it's like car I, drivers. I think that's the, I think the worst I've ever seen is... Uh, this watch the Spangler Cup in Oh, hockey. I've seen that. Yeah. Oh, it's just head to toe, yeah. and yeah. it's just it's crazy. Yeah. We've got to run on this 394th episode of Unscripted Free Forum Friday is next as we wrap up this very great week of shows. Really enjoyed it. Hope that you are enjoying it as well. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.